Episode 68 of The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And joining us today via Skype, God Save Us All Technology, is... Jason. Hello. Hey, man. Good to have you back. I guess about once a year is what we're going to aim for, right? Hey, it sounds good to me. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me back on. Yeah, man. Glad to have you because you are pushing us in a direction that we rarely go, and I would like to say that it is a bit of a shame that this is episode 68 and not episode uh, 69. Uh, oh. Well played. Well Sorry, played. I had to make the bad joke. I mean, <laughs> it's almost a prerequisite. I apologize, but not that much. Because the film we're covering tonight, chosen by the mighty Jason, is Sex and Fury. And I have to say, that is an appropriate and accurate title. Mm-hmm. Um, because... I was going to say, I, I've heard that, that was, that's not the official title to it. And I've heard that it may have just been made up by the DVD distributor, but uh, I, I haven't, haven't uh, I found full evidence of that yet. But they, the, the official totally listing is uh, not Sex and Fury. No, it's a delinquent. Is it a Delinquent Boss? Yeah, Ocho. Is that it? Ocho? Yes. Okay, so. It is this. This is one only has one sequel, and that's it. I know it gets very convoluted and confusing, but the the title I don't have it pulled up in front of me. That's okay. That's why we have it editing. Man. Would it get confusing? Is it confusing because that actress probably played very similar roles in other films of this this genre? I, actually, no. You, most of them are uh, contemporary films. This is one of the few that she starred in that was. You know, set the turn of the century. Oh, okay. Yeah, I noticed there's a there's a lot of difference between. Well, I mean, not in some areas, but I mean, there seems to be a lot of difference between um, the uh, pinky violence films or the pink films that are set in uh, the past, the historical dramas uh, or historical sex films, whatever we're going to call them, and uh, the ones that are set in in uh, contemporary times. And I'm assuming that, and this is just the most obvious thing that they would be a little bit more expensive to produce because of, you know, different levels of costuming and having to be a lot more careful about set building and trying to keep things, uh, period. Uh, because one of the things that's very period in this film that uh, a lot of people would notice right off the bat are the cars, the kind of turn of the century cars. Ah, uh, yes. So that there would, are a few of those. Yeah, yeah. And it, of course, that's that's very cool. I'm not like a big car guy, but when you get down to things that look a little bit like the Model T, I kind of get a little mm-hmm. fascinated, I have to admit. Not something you would have laying around the set, and, you know, out back. No, no, no. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm assuming some money had to be spent to get that sucker on the set in front of the cameras. So, like I say, I I, I know that in general, these types of films were were cheaper to produce than a lot of other genres. Uh, trying to be nice there, uh, because the primary <laughs> the primary reason they were being made is because they were in general sex films. Mm, yeah, but these were the the high end. Oh yeah, sex yeah, exploitation yeah. movies because in the sixties there was a lot of the 
you know, the pink film just got started and a lot of that stuff was really, really low budget. I mean, they, you know, shooting on the rooftop in a couple of rooms and mm. that was it. And then as TV kind of took away the audience for the cinema, the bigger, you know, the big studios like Nikatsu and Toei, which is the uh, studio that produced Sex and Fury, they, you know, were kind of like, oh, we need to spice things up a little bit and get more into the sexploitation angle. And so they spent their budgets on things like Sex and Fury in the early 70s. Well, I've seen a, a few Pinky Violence films, and the ones that I've seen are from the same period as this one. This movie came out in 1973, and most of the ones that fall into the genre are ones that are ones that I've seen from either the late 60s through about the mid-70s. I've not seen any from kind of later in the 70s, and I know the I know the genre continued, you know, for a while after that. But it seems to be that period that most fans, at least here in the United States, look back on with the most fondness. Is that true of you? Uh, which which films have you seen? I'm curious. Well, that's okay. Talking about getting confused with titles. This is where we get confused with titles because I can throw out a couple of titles, but some of them, the, the titles I've seen, I'm going to say half a dozen to somewhere between seven and eight, somewhere between six, seven or eight of them over okay. the past, say, 20 years. And the problem that I have is that only a couple of them stick out because of a very memorable title. Like, uh, uh, oh darn it, R- uh, Rika? Uh, not Rika, darn it. Rika, Rika, there's the Rika trilogy that the, Toho produced. Okay, okay. yeah, the, the the first one of those, and this is the uh, the woman who um, whose father, who, the actress herself, her father was actually a, an American, I think. Yeah, and so her features are a little less uh, kind of standard Japanese, which is one of the reasons that I think that she probably had a career because she looked different enough on screen from most of the other actresses. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen I've seen one of those, and I've seen a number of them, and this is where the titles all get jumbled together in my head because uh, throwing out th- you know the delinquent boss and things like mm. that, there were like you know three or four that had variations on that title to one degree or another with words, you know, kind of tossed around. And, and I know there, there, there are specific translations of the exact Japanese, which is one of the reasons why, you know, it just seems like, uh, it seems like monster movies from the, from the, from the fifties that were aimed at teenagers is like, get these words in the title and by God, there'll be butts on seats. And so, you know, you have these, these words that in Japan, the delinquent seemed to be a pretty standard word that would end up in these titles mm-hmm. and a boss would always always seem, from what I've been able to tell, to de- to delineate uh, some kind of gang, uh, usually a girl gang, which is what I've you know seen the most of. Not that that tells you anything about my proclivities, but <laughs> <sighs> maybe it does. I'm not sure. But the ones I've seen, um, and, and 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 tell me this: would um, would the uh, female scorpion, would, uh, the female scorpion, the the female prisoner scorpion films, would those count as pink films? Uh, well, see, I. I kind of take – I know pink films is very uh, very blanket, but these are kind of like pinky violence films. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Kind of more action with some sex as opposed to just sex. Right. And those are the so, ones I'm most interested in because – Yeah, me too. Yeah, because I'm not I'm – not, I mean don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a, a well-done – you know, sexy movie or or a movie that you know basically does revolve around sex, but is primarily a drama. I can I can do that. That's not something that I'm completely against. But if you really want me to be intrigued and come back for more, it's 
you got to throw in something else. And so the, the, it's, it's the action ones. It's the ones that let, that are like this, um, that have, have been the most interesting to me because, you know, there, you know, you got gangs fighting each other. You've got, uh, you know, someone looking to, to be the dominant member of a gang or something like that. And so it, that draws me in because it has a similar flavor to a lot of the, uh, Yakuza films that I enjoy as well. And now this is, uh, um, I think uh, this is really my first Pinky Violence film. Oh, okay. Now I do, you know, I've seen some of the more recent, you know, ones that just get truly whacked out that I don't think would be considered Pinky yeah. Violence. You know, the ones we're talking about, like uh, the over-the-top gore things that are kind yeah, of, yeah, kind of like co-productions with with American money and British money that are, you know, things like Machine Girl and things like you Tokyo know, kind of, Go- Tokyo yeah, Gore Police. And I'm those. assuming those things these may be considered descendants of the genre, but I don't think this this they would be right, Jason. I wouldn't think those would be considered part of this genre i guess maybe just sort of so you're talking about like the sushi typhoon movies is that what they're called like i I know they were a big um they were one of the companies putting that stuff out i think about all of them and i i know a lot i've heard that those were kind of formulated to appeal to the international or western audiences to be like hey it's wacky japan check Mm -hmm. us out Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and they are indeed wacky you know and they have their entertainment value but you know but i mean certainly what we're talking about here is on a definite different level of quality and and you know and so so i really do believe this is my first actual pinky violence film i've seen a couple of just like pink films but uh so this is this is really new to me let me ask you this jason is i mean you mentioned toho making some um was was toei the like with this for this film, were they kind of the, the the studio that's mainly known for launching these, or was this something that kind of all the studios fell into at the same time, or is there a particular um, uh, studio that's sort of considered the 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 beginners the of of this type of film? Uh, well, as far as the pinky violence stuff, right? Toei is kind of the one. They're the ones that kind of lay claim to it because they produce the most. Mm-hmm. But it was a trend at the time, so like. Uh, Rod has mentioned the Rika films. From Toho. Those were from Toho. Okay. You have like Lady Snowblood, which is a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. And so there was other people getting in on the action because it was definitely a, a fad at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, they so were kind of the main purveyors. So okay. Lady Snowblood would be considered a pink film. Well, no, that, I'm I'm sorry, that's a bad example. What am I thinking of? Well, I'm, I was curious because I've seen the Lady Snowblood movies and I absolutely yeah, love I have them. seen yeah. I have seen those and I yeah. yeah and so yeah I wouldn't I mean I could see how. I mean, it just seems to me like those are much. I mean, yes, there is some sex in those, but they seem really more slanted yeah, towards the violence, much action, the action yeah. end of it, and action film. Well, what yeah, I there's like, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, what what I've read is that, and this kind of surprised me a little, but not that much considering the differences between our cultures. But uh, it seems that uh, kind of the the early versions of these of these types of films of, of pink films in general actually were happening in the fifties. In, re- in reaction to, like you say, trying to get people, you know, t- to leave their television sets and go back mm-hmm. out to the theater. And uh, I was really kind of surprised, sort of, to learn that uh, a lot of those films that were being produced in the 50s in Japan involved uh, nudity. Um, now, of course, this is also when you get established that uh, that oddest of, of, uh, of restrictions in Japanese cinema, which <laughs> is the uh, uh, total nudity is fine as long as we don't see any pubic hair. And uh, seems that that's that's carried forward from the 1950s, you know, still to this till, still to this day, as far as I'm aware. I mean, they even just will pixelate it instead of having some artful flower pot covering the the mm-hmm. offending area of hair. <laughs> but uh, the <laughs> the strangest uh, 
the strangest thing to me was just the difference in uh, you know the fact that there were film you know films with total nu- you know total male and female nudity playing to packed ho- <clears throat> packed houses in Japan in the fifties. See now, I I thought that. Uh, the pink films kind of came into vogue in the early 60s, and that's when all of that kicked off. And I know there was kind of some saucy stuff in the 50s. Yeah, yeah, and that's the, that's, what, that's the stuff I'm talking about. It didn't like, quite kick into full gear until the 60s. Yeah, I know like big art house movies like Onibaba was, what, 64? And that had you yeah. know lots of nudity in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm not that's, quite that's true. sure where it begins. Well, the, uh, the it was it was apparently a, several independent studios in the the fifties that were producing you know incredibly low budget films that had uh, nudity in them, and you know they were you know there there weren't there weren't any uh, restrictions on showing those in theaters at the time. Yeah. And you're right, the the, the what the, the pink films grew out of those kind of things. And uh, at first, of course, it was a you know a little little in, you know it was little independent studios uh, whose names I cannot pronounce and will not attempt to because God knows that I will screw it up. Uh, but apparently there were t- two or three of them, maybe even three or four of them who were producing these films. And, uh, you know, by the 60s, by the early sixties, when the genre kind of took off, r- the reason it took off is that the bigger studios started producing a few as well. At least that's what I've been led to believe. Uh, okay. Cause I was under the impression it was the, um, all the, or the aeroduction, for what they were calling them in the 60s. Yeah, Which yeah. was, they were just like, you know, make sure this has four sex scenes and nudity in them. And <laughs> then as TV, because I guess TV didn't take off until like the mid to late 60s. Because that's when you had Ultraman happen and kind of the rise and fall uh, of the kaiju films. Kind of, mm-hmm. that's the way I look at it. But then the same thing happens with, uh, you know, the pink film in things getting more sexploitation and harder edged is the sixties progress because by 68 you have like the joys of torture film, yeah. which is kind of kicked off all the arrow guru shenanigans that are, I I'm assuming those are the films you've seen. Probably. Okay. And, uh, and then things got a lot harder edged and then the bigger budget studios really took off and into and ran with it into the seventies. Well, the uh, from what I'm told, the the kind of uh, birth of what we would call the the pink pinky violence films. I'm sorry, just the pink films, not the pinky violence stuff, was um, around 1964 with uh, Seijun Suzuki's film Gates of Flesh, which I've still oh, yeah. ne- which I've still never seen, and apparently, it's good. really well, good. That, that's what I hear. The more I read about it, the more I'm like, my God, I need to see this. And it's not like I haven't seen some Seijun Suzuki films, but I've definitely not seen this one. And just the the plot alone, really, I find intriguing is the whole idea of it being a, a post World War II film and uh, focusing on um, uh, prostitutes, Japanese prostitutes, who uh, have sex specifically with um, American soldiers. That's kind of the the trade they ply. It, it, the the film The film got shown outside of Japan. I think it got shown outside of Japan before it got shown in in Japan. The, the the European press was really kind of shocked at how anti-American the film was, and also how violent it was. Apparently, it's pretty violent for 1964. And if that's the kind of kickoff point, it seems to me that you can kind of see where the genre was going to go. If that's kind of the, the the one that brings it to international attention, I would guess that would be you know it would have both sides of uh, the coin. You know, the sex and the violence kind of kind of put in there. And if Seijun Suzuki's style that I know from his other films 
is part of the makeup of that movie, then my God, it must have been <laughs> quite a shock, especially like I say, you know, 50, 54 years ago at this point. <laughs> wow. See, I thought it was more like uh, the film Daydream that I think also came out about the same time that kind of really kickstarted the. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember reading whole, about that. Uh, one. Pinky, or the whole uh, pink film thing. Uh huh. And I think that was also shown in a film festival, maybe in Venice? Belgium. Well, with Wikipedia is to be believed it was in Venice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't you can't believe Wikipedia. <laughs> well, it says well from what I've read by the mid '60s, more than half of all of the films that were produced in Japan were pink films. Yes, it was madness. I mean, that's <laughs> hundreds of there were yeah. the, like the average was like 460 films a year, and that means that th- there were more than 230 pink films being my, made a year. My God, if those could only have been kaiju films, I would be so happy. You know, <laughs> it would just be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, of course. Well, now, now here's here's the thing. Imagine a kaiju pink film. Oh, kaiju pink film! Wow, that would be. Hmm. Do you guys want to know? Oh God! Uh-oh. Oh, 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 oh. Are you telling me this exists? Uh, I, I've been in the video stores where I've seen sections that have like the Ultraman kaiju parody or oh. the giant woman stepping on tanks stuff. <laughs> okay, so okay, <laughs> I can believe it. <laughs> you know, I was going to say these, I these were like know. straight, like yeah. they look like straight porn. You know, oh, wow. So JAV Productions. So, so they're pink kaiju films. That that I guess we shouldn't be surprised, should we? <laughs> no, that's. I don't, I don't know if I want to mix the two. Yeah, that's yeah. I know that's that's you know. <laughs> I have the feeling I would I would be curious enough to start watching, but never be able to finish it. If you know what I mean. <sighs> I just I think I would end up turning it off. But I was just thinking, you know, had there if only they had made like hundreds and hundreds of kaiju films. How hey, you know what? Uh, you know, if I still had just hundreds more to see. How happy I would be, but. How happy I would have been as a kid if they had played on TV. But I wasn't sure if you were constructing a haiku there. Well, you know, remember I'm the guy who got deprived of even like Ultraman when I was a little. You know, never played on TV here. You know, so 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 I never even got never got to even see an, an Ultraman episode till I was already, you know, practically an adult. You know, and so I missed all out on that as a kid. As a kid, not getting to have a. I mean, if I'd had Ultraman Ultraman episode every day with a giant monster, would okay, have just that been that, that sound you hear behind us is the sad violin. <laughs> I know, man. Poor Troy. <laughs> Poor, poor Troy. For pennies a day, you could help this poor bastard buy DVDs of Ultraman. (laughs) So that he can live out the childhood he never had. Ah, poor thing. But, nevertheless, you, you, okay, you mentioned seeing these in video stores. I'm assuming you're talking about in Japan. Uh, yeah. Wow, cool. How, I I gotta, I gotta know, what, what, what's a video store there like? Uh, it depends what kind it is. You have some which you go in, and they, it's kind of like the tour. You know, it's in the touristy area. Like the, the when you see the the B roll of uh, you know J- Japan footage, and they show Akihabara, yeah, where everyone goes. It's a mm-hmm. tourist thing. There'll be like the knickknack tourist stuff in the front in a few videos, and then you go around the corner, and then it's all the the dirty stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it's strange. There's all different kinds. There's you know they still have rental places there. Um, there's like book off, which you can buy used stuff. And then there's just straight video. They have like used video stores. A lot of those where yeah. it's kind of mixed used products. Unless you're talking about straight pornography. And those are different. Those are like, those are massive. You can spend all day in there if you want. 
<laughs> well, I, and, then, and this will sound like an odd question, but I mean, do they import pornography from other countries or is it all homegrown? It's mostly domestic from what I noticed. They may have a small section for imported stuff, but it's it's mostly domestic from what, you know, what I've seen. Interesting. Because I, I wondered how much, um, knowing the cultural differences, I, I wondered how much uh, interest there would be in uh, seeing, you know, uh, you know, people from other countries and other other ethnicities uh, engaging in sexual acts. Yeah, there seems to be a little bit of that, but mostly homegrown interest is uh, seems to rule the day there. Well, that draws us right back to Sex and Fury because one of the uh, more interesting things about this movie is that it does employ uh, an actress from Europe. Ah, uh, yes, Christina Lindbergh, who. Um, Yes, that was see that was a great that was a great surprise for me because I had forgotten that she had done one of these films and she so did two we were, of them apparently. Yeah, we were talking about yeah. doing this film. It didn't even register. I mean, I, and I didn't really read up anything about this film before I actually sat down to watch it. So I was just I was like, oh my god, that's right, Christine Lindbergh because I love her. Uh, actually met her, Jason, a, a few years ago at a, she was at a um, Cinema Wasteland convention in Cleveland. It's the reason I reason. I and my older brother went was because we found out Christine Lindbergh was coming. They were like, "Oh my God, you know, we've got to go to this." And and um, and, and 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 she was great. I mean, it was great to great meeting her. And she she gave some some really interesting lecture or you know uh, panel discussions. And uh, um, you know, and that was just a real thrill meeting her. But uh, I had, but again, it's been enough years there in between that I had forgotten that she had done one of these films. So uh, when I realized that it was the one that she had had made, I was just uh, that was that was a great bonus to all this. Did she talk about these films when you saw her speak? I'm sure she did. Um, I'm sure she did because she gave quite a long uh, discussion on uh, on the film she did, and you know, and it's funny because now she now she publishes a uh, an, an an aviation magazine, a mag because her husband I think ended up uh, he was a pilot and 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 he published a, this magazine on aviation, and then after he died, she took over the publishing, and that's what she does now. But she was very nice and gave a very interesting speech. But again, I just—it's just been so many years now. I just—I just kind of forgotten. I remembered her talking about the films that she's more known for, as far as, of course, thriller and all that. But uh, uh, or they call her One Eyes, it's called. But uh, um, so I'd forgotten. You know, I'm sure she did talk about it. But it's just—it's just my memory is just too much of a sieve to uh, you know well, to that, recall it, the details. But if you had not seen this movie at the time, yeah, sure, it, I wouldn't have really register. You know, with me. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that was that was pretty amazing uh, getting to getting to see her. But. But uh, yeah, it's great that she's in this, and I was just thinking, like that, uh, you know, uh, nature just must have been a true pervert that day when it created Christine Lindbergh, Lindbergh because this is, you know, this porcelain baby doll face on this, you know, just incredible form figure, you oh, know, yeah. like that. It's just, you know, how does a woman like this exist? You know, get created? You know, it's like we made her specifically, you know, nature made her specifically for for male fantasies. <laughs> you know, so. Well, I'd have to say also the. The, the the Japanese female lead in this is uh, oh, yeah. honestly if you She's just want to yeah. if, if you want another variation on exactly the kind of woman that you stare at and immediately mm. have a problem in your pants so this <laughs> th- this lady would be it and I'm I'm going to defer to Jason to try to pronounce her name now because I don't want to completely embarrass myself. Uh oh, uh, <laughs> Rico Ike. Rico Ike is how I've heard it pronounced, but I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, uh, you know, leaving out, you know, a silent cue or something. Um, I will uh, provide you with audio later. Sex and Fury from 1973. Literal translation, 
Story of a delinquent female boss, Ocho Inoshika. Directed by Suzuki Norifumi. Starring Ike Reiko, Nigishi Akemi, Mihara Yoko, Emma Ryoko, Oka Hachiro. Thank you. Good, good, good. But I will say that、uh, both of these ladies are strikingly, let's, they're strikingly handsome.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll put it that way.、Yeah. And、um, I, I'm, you know, of course, one of the, the great joys or, you know, kind of standard things about a pink film is that、uh, if there's a woman in it, you're probably going to see her nude.、Um, obviously, Christina Lindbergh, if you've seen any,、mm-hmm. of, her, any of her other films,、uh, had absolutely no problem with burying herself. Uh, on camera. As a matter of fact,、uh, she, was, uh, you know, she did a lot of、uh, nude modeling as well as making a few films for which she you know, continues to be well known <laughs> decades later.、Uh, apparently,、uh, this actress, this Japanese actress, uh, uh, Riko, Riko Ike, Riko Ike is also incredibly well known. She, was,、uh, I mean, she made a lot of these pink films.、Uh, I look at her list of credits and I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, I think she and it's her and another actress whose name I don't remember right now, but I think we're kind of become the two sort of most iconic actresses、yeah. associated with.、Uh, well, you probably know the other one I'm talking about, Jason. But. Well, the three biggies were、uh, Miko Kaji, who did, was in Female Prisoner Scorpion, or、yes. the Stray Cat Rock series, and then Miki Sugimoto was another big one. And she would like co starred with、uh, Reiko Iki in a bunch of films, like、uh, the. Terrifying Girls High School series, which I highly recommend. Just by the title, it sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say,、um, terrifying. Ri- ri- writing a note down now. Yeah, terrifying、so. Girls High School, I love it. I'm already, I'm already a fan, I haven't seen a minute of it. <laughs> But yeah, those are the three biggies、mm. for, for the, the pinky violence genre.、Mm. Well, I think、I'm, I can't be sure. I may have seen this actress in other pink films, but I will say. She's quite good in this.、Um, mm. she's, uh, she, I don't know if she was、uh, always as good as an actress as she is in this film, but of course, this is several years into her,、um, her career. And I find her to be extremely good at conveying a wide range of emotions.、Uh, I was really kind of taken with her ability to turn on a dime from、uh, having a, a look on her face as if she were puzzled, even though she's kind of stringing, stringing a line of bullshit out to somebody that she's、mm. not being completely honest with, and then get this bemused look on her face because she realized that without thinking about it, she picked this guy's pocket <laughs> and is kind of surprised at her own, her own inability to kind of stop herself from doing such a thing. And、uh, I, I just think she's, I, she's a really impressive、uh, presence on screen, and a lot of that is in her ability to really get across uh, uh, some. Some nuanced emotions with her face.、Uh, that is not to say that she is not also impressive when she has got a sword in her hands.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. Have, have you seen the, any of the Battles of the Honor and Humanity films? Because she was in a couple of those. Yes, and、uh, you mentioned that, and I've forgotten it because、um, uh, when I looked at her filmography, it's been a while since I watched those.、Uh, I have all the ones that、uh, Arrow Video has put out,、um, but I've only watched the first two.、Um, I've really enjoyed them. But yeah, she's,、uh, she's in, you're right, she is actually in, in that series, at least a couple of them. And I think, I think including, it, I believe those first two, I think she's in at least one or maybe both of those.、Uh, and I've really enjoyed those films.、Uh, I'm looking forward to watching the rest of them. Yeah, but as far as her acting chops, she's quite, you know, she has a small role, but she's quite good. And it's not just a straight sexploitation role. Right. Well, I, when I, I had seen Sex and Fury、uh, for the first time several years back. And、uh, really remember enjoying it. I think I rented it、uh, 
back long so long ago that it was I was renting it through you know Netflix getting the disc in the mail from Netflix and I remember really liking the film and I'm I was glad to get the chance to revisit it this time around what's weird is that I had I had not remembered that it's a period piece I had not remembered that it takes place in like 1905 um now this is neat because I I got, I got to say I I love a film that starts off with the uh you know 20 years earlier prelude that sets up the reason for vengeance. And uh, this film does that very effectively. The first scene of the film takes place in 1886, and we see this, this uh, I assume, police detective, or maybe he's just a, I'm assuming he's a police detective. Mm-hmm. We see him be assassinated yeah. by these three people, um, while, you know, and this assassination is seen by his, uh, his young daughter. Um, and, of course, you know, we cut to, <laughs> we cut to 19 or 20 years later in 1905, and, uh, it's not hard to surmise that the main thrust of the plot of this film is going to be vengeance. And uh, that is always one of my favorite... The, the, that, that's kind of the standard driver for a lot of the pinky violence films I've seen. It's, it's, there's always somebody on the vengeance road and, and uh, you know lo- looking to put somebody in the grave. And um, the, the thing that I found strange about this was, one, like I said, I had forgotten that it was a period piece, and that was just a really nice discovery. And I also didn't remember something pretty broad about the movie that should have stuck in my mind, which is that it's a really beautifully photographed movie. Mm-hmm. It is. It has some incredible visual style here and things that it does. I, I, I'm used to, um, like the, I love the female, uh, the f- female convict, the female scorpion films, the, those four. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think those movies are phenomenal. I love them. And there's, those are, those are incredibly beautiful films. Very uh, strikingly directed, a lot of Dutch angles, a lot of uh, very, uh, um, you know, a lot of uh, t- attempts to uh, use the camera in a forceful way to give you uh, insight into character, but also just keeping scenes that would no- wouldn't be quite as interesting if they weren't filmed in the way they're being filmed. And there's there's an artistic level to those movies that I think is just wonderful and 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 top notch. And I think my memory was that. Those are kind of outliers, but then I see this movie and I realize, no, it's not that much of an outlier. This movie's kind of like an art. It's kind of shot like an art film as well. Yeah, Norofumi Suzuki, the director, his movies usually look really good. He will throw in the the stylishness when he can, and brisk pace keeps it fun, not too heavy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jason, uh, let me ask you. Uh, this is probably a really dumb question, but uh, are these little tiles that we see throughout the film? Are these mahjong tiles, or is there something? Are they something completely different? No, they. I will get the name of the card game later for you guys. Um, they're card. They're a card game. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, we see them playing with those things in, in one of the gambling houses mm-hmm. in the in the first like half hour of the film. It's just I never understood. First, I never understood how they were playing this game. Yeah. Because obviously it's some kind. It seems to be some kind of card game. But yeah, you're right. They're more tiles than they are cards. Yeah, and it made me think. And you're right. When I think about, it, I guess the mahjong mahjong tiles may be even a little bit smaller than these and all. But it, and and it's I wasn't. But I know the Japanese obsession with mahjong and with gambling in general, which that's sort yeah. of another little sub theme in this film. You know, and that's something that runs through a lot of Japanese films. Is they is uh, how many of their characters and uh, are gamblers or, or focus on gambling. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, what I'm getting at is uh, uh, Suzuki. Uh, he makes incredible use of these these tiles, these cards from this game throughout the film. The things he does visually with those, uh, starting with those great opening credits where she's posing in front of these giant cards, you know, behind yeah. her, just fantastic. 
uh, all the way to later things where they basically substitute for snow, you know, where the snow turns into right. these tiles. They're just wonderful, wonderful uh, visual ideas. Well, I love the fact that the clue that the dying father gives to, to the little girl about the people who assassinated him was choosing three of those tiles to represent mm. each one of the people who killed him. Mm. Because there were, there were three yeah. assassins. And uh, I, just, I found that absolutely fascinating. It because it's something that idea. carries through the entire structure of the film very well. Because the movie isn't shoving in your face mm. the memory of that or that, that, that image. But it's just that, that that game using those tiles reoccurs throughout the throughout the, the structure of the story, and so it's never far from your memory that oh yeah yeah or you know we we we're, it keeps everything on track in a way that isn't really just, it isn't kind of waving it in your face, you know. Yeah, there's no big flashbacks going. Hey, remember this? It's mm-hmm. just always nicely. These cards are going to be a motif throughout this entire film, and this is why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm, one thing I'll say is that each one of the the tiles uh, they have a, they have there's a, there's a deer, a boar, and a butterfly. Yeah. And um, did I miss something, or at what point did uh, our main character get the idea or the information, I should say, that these represented tattoos on each of them? Because did I miss that, or did I just was it something that was said in passing and I just missed it completely? Anybody catch that? Well, the first I did not. I, I think the first person that she enacts her revenge on, of course, is uh, is the um, the guy who uh, had was it the bear or, or I'm sorry, the deer on his back or, or the, one the deer, back. yeah, because he he's the one who who deflowers the girl that she's trying to free, you know, uh, the, right. the the uh, he's he's the, the scumbag, the scumbag yes. politician, yeah. and uh, and it was and it's her, it's that I believe that girl is the one who tells her that he had a tattoo. That she saw a tattoo on his back. Now she didn't know what that meant to. But that might have been the moment that Ocho realizes, oh, that's what this comes from. Is these right. people? If he's got a tattoo on his back, then maybe the rest of them all are known by these tattoos. Is what I kind of gathered from it. And again, it doesn't really spell that out. But I thought maybe when she finds out that he's got, she puts two and two together and figures he must be one of them. So the others must have these tattoos as well. Maybe. Like I say, I just like, wondered if I'm if if. Um, I only I only watched it once this past week, and I was wondering if somehow I just I just missed them giving her the information mm-hmm. about these being tattoos that these three uh, these three people have. Um, regardless, it gives us it gives the director so many chances for for incredible visual imagery. <laughs> and uh, but before we get too far, let's we might as well talk about the most amazing yeah. sequence in this whole film. Um, <laughs> and one of the most amazing sequences yeah. in any film. What, let's just say it. What sequence? What, I bet you don't know about. what I'm talking about. Oh, that's, you that's you might one. have forgotten this. You might. Uh, have, you well, might is it, are, we, are we talking about the one where everybody sits quietly and watches yeah. the snowfall? <laughs> that's it, what is it that? is. Oh no, no, no! It has to be the uh, the naked slow motion sword fight. That's what it is. <laughs> yes, yes, that would be the one. Yeah. Um, if ever there was a movie that planted its flag mm. in the first 15 yeah. minutes to kind yeah. of dare you to walk away from a movie, this is the movie yeah. that just kind of goes, hey, yeah. asshole, uh, yeah. guess we got your attention now, huh? Um, Ocho, is- Ocho, our female lead character mm. who's uh, on the vengeance road here, uh, is uh, taking a bath mm. and uh, is, a, is attacked by a group of uh, soon-to-be-dead meats. 
And um, things do not go the way these fellows think it is going to go because she slaughters them. Um, while nude. While nude. In the snow. And, yeah, and, well, yeah, the Japanese and, do love their snow. Yeah, yeah, and, and honestly, I, I would love to watch this movie like eight times in a row and write a treatise on the use of snow, both fake and real, within the structure of this film. But the, um, the joys of that sequence are not just... Well, okay. There's a lot of levels to enjoy that to, to enjoy that sequence on. First, uh, the the slow motion nudity I, I'm I'm partial to. Uh, <laughs> the uh, slow motion bloodletting plus we get nice we get some nice arterial. I was going to say the arterial sprays. You know, yeah, get a few good, good ones. Good. But also one of the things that I thought was really impressive impressive is I had and I had to back up to rewatch the sequence because it didn't occur mm-hmm. to me while I was watching it and I wanted to watch it a second <laughs> time. <laughs> uh, was that they how how carefully they do once again adhere to that little rule that you right. can't show sure. pubic hair. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is tricky, tricky in this sequence because she ain't got a stitch on, and we're talking about a coordinated slow motion sword battle mm-hmm. that starts out in starts out in this house and then goes out into the snow. Uh, and I think she offed roughly 175 men in that in that scene. <laughs> not, not probably no, but it was a fair number. I mean, six was it five or six? Or more than that, I think. Was <laughs> it was a bunch. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was it was a lady snowblood kind of thing in a way. But I, I think mm. the stuntmen all showed up for that day. <laughs> <laughs> it probably worked for free. I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> I had not considered that aspect of things. <laughs> yes, what a perk we had today. Yeah. The star was totally nude while we all stood around and coordinated a sword fight with her. It was a rough day. Or should we say a hard day? Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Wow. Sorry. It's, it's, sorry. <laughs> it's hard to judge the room, but that groan tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> so, so do you guys think it at all a... A shame that this that this sequence really is the high point of the film and appears so early in the film. I mean, because uh, the film is, I mean, I enjoyed the the third, I enjoyed all the film. It has other, you know, good sequences. The sword fight at the last is is great, but this is the you know, it's not much compares to this. I mean, this is where your jaw just totally drops and hits the floor, and it doesn't really do that again the rest of the film. I mean, do you think the film uh, played its cards, no pun intended, too <laughs> too uh, too soon or uh, or or not? Because I did find myself, myself personally, I did find myself thinking like, I mean, when, you know, realizing. Looking back. You looking mean? back and realizing that, yeah, that's, that, you know, that is the high point of the film. The film is good, but that is the point that just. No, it, was, did, it didn't feel that way to me. Mm-hmm. Jay, how about you, Jason? Uh, I, I agree with that somewhat, and I see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. But I like the film enough that mm-hmm. by, by the end of the film where she's hacking and slashing her way up the stairs to that funky tune yes yeah I, I am like you know this is okay i am mm. thoroughly enjoying this yeah even if she's clothed <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're right I, I didn't really think about the fact that 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 opening nude sword fight is kind of the visual i guess it's, you could say it's kind of the visual highlight of the film because there's a lot of visual highlights in the film. It's just that that first one is really the stand. That's the one that stands up with anything I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, honestly, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean that's any yeah, that's as good as anything of you know, and just as a, as amazingly. And, and you're right. I mean, it's not it's not just the fact that you, you know the concept of it. It's how they pull it off. It's how they manage to it's make well, it it's work. It's well choreographed. It is. It is. It's brilliantly done. And yeah, and I mean that. Yeah, like I said, it's not like the film takes a huge dip after that. But it just and and you know and probably the maybe the whole thinking behind it was. We're just going to 
lasso people early and make sure they stick around, you know, and with giving them our best, giving them our, our best thing up front there. And so. it does make me wonder, is that something that would be typical of a pink film, a pinky violence film from this period is, you know, in that first 15 minutes, make sure that you staple their asses to the seat. Because if you give them something that big and that impressive in the first, you know, half or, you know, even the, like I say, the first reel of the movie, it, chances are they're going to stick around to see if you try to top it later on. Actually, well, I would take that even further and just ask Jason. Jason, I mean, not asking you to like have to remember anything specifically right now, but I mean, are these films, do these films typically try and out, try and kind of one up each other or one up what's come before with some sort of really outrageous concept like that uh, or conceptual sequence? There is always outrageous nonsense going on in these mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you guys may have something. I've never really thought of it in that context as far as trying to get something in the first reel. It's kind of like putting They're your hit, kind of like putting your hit single as the second or third song on a record or something, you know, yeah, like catch yeah. them or grab them early. Yeah, and now that I think about it, there, sometimes they do kind of taper off where they're still enjoyable, but there's nothing that they kind of reaches. Uh, the heights of an earlier set piece or sequence earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, but, the, but they usually satisfy at least the, the good ones do, mm-hmm. even if they don't quite reach the, the, the crazy heights that they, they obtain earlier in the, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to say, I, I love this movie from beginning to end. I mean, I really mm-hmm. did. I, you know, like I said, this is the second time I've seen it. And I really do think this is a great movie. And one of the things that, but I will say this, the thing that occurred to me watching it this time, and I'm, I'm wondering, I'm very curious to see if the two of you agree with me or not. Um, I, I love the fact that what we have is in kind of an East meets West uh, storyline here where we have uh, Christina Lindbergh playing this uh, American female spy who's got a very tight rein on her by the uh, the military man who, who's, who, who's also sexually abusing her, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they brought her over to use her various sets of skills. I guess that's the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. To uh, to gain information uh, about you know various you know, very specific things. But here's what I noticed. Uh, I mean, we have that on. We have that really great gambling scene where mm-hmm. um, the two female leads, both Christina Lindbergh and Rico Rico. I, Rico, I think we're saying EK. EK. Rico EK are, are uh, maneuvered so that they're playing that card game. Well, they're actually playing poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they? right. In this case, yeah. they're actually using yes, Yeah, they're actually using poker. Using poker. They're, 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 they're playing poker um, um, essentially to kind of settle uh, a dispute that uh, the Ocho character, our main Japanese female league's character, has with the uh, politician character who yeah. ends up being someone that she she is hunting for to begin with. Right, because she won't. She, it's the idea is she beats if she wins the gambling that he will release the the girl Yuki that he's that he's basically his he owns essentially. Uh, yeah. yeah, because uh, his his her brother that uh, Yuki's brother had 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 asked uh, Ocho that was his dying wish. You know that she would help get her free. Get her free. Yeah. So that sequence is where these two characters intersect in the movie, but. When the movie is all said and done, the whole American spy subplot with Christina Lindbergh isn't really necessary. It doesn't really intersect the main story, the main vengeance story being carried out by the Japanese female character at all. I mean, it has no real effect. I mean, it feels almost like uh, they had a a script, Mm -hmm. and then they had Christina Lindbergh, 
And so they they had to come up with a way. Okay, we need another plot in here, right? Because she kind of, kind of the connection between them to, are, is the uh, the assass the attempt the guy who's trying the to attempting yeah. to assass assassinate. Uh, I think his name is Sho, uh, Sho, uh, Shonosuke. Yeah, I guess is uh, and uh, and he's he and Christine Lindbergh's character, who's called Christina, uh, had had earlier been had formerly been lovers. Or and so he carries this locket around you know, with her picture. Course, and of course, he meets Ocho. So that's kind of the connection between the two of them. But you're right. I, I can see what you're saying that the, you know, he's he's that her her story because basically she's over there. Her boss, Christina's boss, is is trying to get a foot up on the the opium trade. So that's why he's right. using her to kind of get in with these Japanese political figures there, so that he can kind of get a get a, his, get a corner his, of the opium yeah, market. He, well, he has a vision of starting a second opium war. So, yeah, yeah, which is. Perverse and mm-hmm. pretty much typical of Western politicians yeah. dealing, dealing with, 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 with the, meddling in Eastern culture. Mm-hmm. But the uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's probably a little bit of a subtext there. Yeah, I'm sure in the uh, the yeah, I'm sure yeah, that's I part know, of it. Just, just I, don't, I would I would debate sub. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> yeah. pretty much text. But the uh, the the it's it it occurs to me that um, you would have almost the entirely almost the same movie. Even if you didn't have that subplot within it, it would just be a straight vengeance story without, you know, kind of uh, a, a, a subplot that, you know, I think adds a good bit to the movie because I like to see Christina Lindbergh on screen. Mm. And uh, it is interesting to kind of have an, an extra kind of Western villainous character in the movie. Right. But the story between, which is really kind of their triangle, <clears throat> you know, she and her boss and, and her former lover, the yeah. way that plays out and concludes is, is kind of separate. It's completely separate. Off to aside yeah. from what happens with, with Ocho. Uh, it's def- I, definitely the B story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good, that's a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah. But I do like, I, I really think it's effective. Uh, the, the, contrast between you know when they're first when they're first playing against each other and of course Christine Lindbergh has such a great poker face because her face is just so like I said as I described earlier like a doll's face you know and yeah. so she has this great poker face uh, but then it shatters after she's seen her lover you know and she can't play she can't play the game she totally falls apart and can't focus anymore after she's seen him and that's I like the way that plays out I thought that was a really nice touch and uh, just just to go back a second regarding the the evil westerners, mm-hmm. yeah. Let's let's not forget that in 1905 that you know Japan had just pretty much conquered Korea, so you know every, everyone's up to shenanigans. Oh. It's, it's just not the evil westerners, you know, <laughs> doing doing shitty things all over the oh. planet. Oh yes. Oh no no no. I I, yes, I would never think that not. I would never think that we were the only oh, shit heels yeah. in play well, well, at any no, time. Yeah. But it also ties into the movie because mm. there's a scene where. Uh, the gambler in Mura, he captures all the the um, kind of the prostitutes and oh, uh, yeah. pickpockets. Yeah, and he's torture. He has them tied yeah, up just, and they're being beaten with sticks uh-huh. in front of like a slideshow of all this like military propaganda from the turn of the century. So uh-huh. I thought that was kind of interesting, and I am mm-hmm. fascinated how a lot of these movies will kind of slip in this commentary. Mm-hmm. With the, the the seediness and the sexiness of the whole thing, mm-hmm. so you're kind of just wondering. I, I wish I could just go back and get the social context of the time and and how these movies played, because yeah. I think it, I think it's fascinating as far as society goes. Yeah, because they even talk about in the first the film where they're uh, they they make a reference to uh, talking about how Japan is at this is the point where they're kind of rushing to industrialization, rushing to progress, and all that. 
but the the Pinky Violence movies, they also have a lot of. I mean, when you have a girl in one of the sailor schoolgirl outfits with a machine gun, machine gunning mm-hmm. down like the superintendent, a guy from a military base, a U.S. military base. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's <laughs> beyond subtext, and as far as the, whole, <laughs> the turmoil that. Uh, Japan was going through in you know late sixties, early seventies. Mm-hmm. It's kind of I I like how these exploitation films, while they're dealing with all this uh, transgressive subject matter, they're also giving you kind of uh, I don't know. You're sympathizing with the the social changes that are happening at that time. Yeah, yeah. Even even the way they're reflected in some of the the kaiju films we talked about, you know, like Godzilla mm-hmm. versus Hydra, and you know, and and uh, and all monsters attack, you know, just uh, uh, those those uh, where they pretty much show you the kind of just the pollution and the kind of gray industrial, you know, city or, or nation that Japan was becoming. Well, Jason, a couple of questions. I that's something I was kind of curious to do, which is when I started thinking about the. Uh, the year 1973, when this film came out, it occurred to me that um, other movies, the other Japanese movies that we'd know, we would know from that period, because we are the fanboys that we are, are generally the, the kaiju films or the science fiction and horror films being made at the time. And it seems that there might be some crossover in uh, themes, if not in uh, the very, you know, the very, uh, they're very obvious differences, of course, within these genres. But it does seem that, yeah, as you just brought up there, the the films being made, even in you know kaiju at the time, uh, had, were were striving to have some kind of uh, commentary, some kind of social commentary about the society and maybe even the entire world. And like I say, it's very easy to see in this movie because, uh, I, it, as with all as with all period pieces, it allows you to comment on the present day without uh, necessarily pointing to very specific people who are alive and in power and could possibly lock your ass in a jail cell. So I'm wondering, um, there's a certain level of uh, curiosity from you know from us Westerners from staring you know staring from the outside, but if you've seen and of course you have, if you've seen more of this particular genre of film, uh, was social commentary outside of kind of the, the very facile and obvious stuff. That, and by that I mean, um, uh, you know, uh, violent girl gangs are bad. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 strict authoritarianism will only make these things worse. Uh, think, you know, these are the obvious things that you would get in like a delinquent girl boss kind of film, I would think. But is there is there a, often a, uh, an attempt made to do something a little bit deeper or a little bit more uh, nuanced or even just something completely not connected to something like that? Well, I don't think we're going to get nuanced. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Maybe ham-fisted. Would that be a better... Uh, okay, le- less ham-fisted, <laughs> less overt. How's that? Ham-fisted in the most loving way. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I'm good with that. Yeah. But a lot of them bring up social problems. Like I, I just watched uh, uh, most of the terrifying girls high school within the past mm-hmm. month, mm-hmm. and those movies like dealt with abortion, and some of them had like um, you know girls that are uh, biracial, like black biracial Japanese from mm-hmm. the military base, right? And they show them in a pretty sympathetic light, and there's a lot of talking about. You know, with like one girl, her mom's a prostitute, and now she's going down that that road. You know, so there's lots of uh, fatherless kids because they would be in the U.S. military and then get shipped back, and they're you know they're abandoned. Right. So and they 
for you know they portray this stuff in a sympathetic light. It's not all just like girl gangs are bad, like you had mentioned. Yeah, actually, you say that, and I was going to say, really, in this film we're talking about here, um, most of most of the female characters, including the uh, orphan, you know, the 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 orphan thieves, you know, that she Ocho grows up with, comes from are are actually presented pretty sympathetic and is and is pretty likable. Characters, Christina Lindbergh's character is certainly presented sympathetically. I mean, there's there's most of the female, and even Ocho's mother, you know, who, yeah. who is, it, I mean, you know, she's certainly done questionable things, but she's ultimately becomes a sympathetic character. So I think in this film, anyway, uh, most of the, it's, you know, pretty much the, the men are, are the scumbags, you know, for, and I think, and, and, and intentionally portrayed that way. Um, yeah, that's how a lot of these movies play off. All the men authority figures are just. The worst scumbag, mustache twirling villains <laughs> yeah. that there ever was one. <laughs> was was there ever one named Snidely Whiplash? Is my question. Um, well, the, one of the other things that uh, that I was curious about, other than um, other than that, other than that, you mentioned earlier the the sequence where some of these girls are tied up and kind of dangled in front of this slideshow. Um, I know that later on in the cycle, the, there was an entire subset of uh, pinky films that were specifically bondage. Um, but I'll admit that I think that pretty much every pinky violence film I have ever seen, and like I said, that's only a handful, involves at least one sequence of bondage of some sort, where some woman is tied up either nude or semi-nude with rope. And I wondered, um, what the fuck is the deal, man? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, but it's uh, relatively popular over there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Is is it at least? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to ask. I mean, is it uh, how how far does it permeate the culture over there? I mean, is it just a pinky thing, or? Uh, I mean, it's pretty popular in the. Well, I want to say like that's the thing is I I don't know some of it. I'm like, hey, this is kind of weird and kooky, and I'm on vacation. I'll go check it out. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's definitely something reoccurring, and they have the whole um, arrow guru like sub like a genre of art right that addresses like this erotic gore nonsense mm-hmm. and you know so that's a part of their art and i don't know how to really handle that or explain it because i'm i, I don't know enough of the history so it's going to be taken out of context right so um i really don't have a good answer for you except it definitely is a thing uh but i don't know why well, if it, huh? Well, the whole thing with the with the bondage thing, it, it seems like I say it is a reoccurring image, and um, I've never been. And this is just a theory. You gotta you gotta gotta understand. I'm floating this one out there, fully aware that I I'm I'm pro- I'm probably talking out of my ass, but it seems to me that the uh, the imagery, the reoccurring imagery in Japanese entertainment of a woman who is bound. And possibly gag, but I don't see them gag that often. It's like you, it's like the whoever's binding them wants to wants to hear them whimpering. Essentially, it seems precisely. Yeah, yeah, they, they want to hear the suffering. Uh, it seems very much uh, part of a of a culture that is male dominated, but that is is really conflicted to in a, in a strange way about the control they have over women, almost as if. Presenting that those images over and over again is this kind of outward visualization of the way society and the way men in general treat and handle women, and 
almost a self-reinforcing thing where if we see it on a regular basis, maybe we're maybe we get more comfortable with the fact that that's really kind of what we're doing all the time. But at the same time, it seems that that's been going on for so long because I mean, I, I think it still turns up in Japanese cinema of certain types. And it just seems, is it, I, I, what I wonder is, is this the crossover point where you get uh, kind of into the dark underbelly of just what it is that turns on Japanese males? Uh, now he's really put you on the spot, isn't he? <laughs> uh, not, not being a Japanese male, I, I couldn't really answer that. Don't you have a Japanese male there that you could question? Damn. <laughs> I, I, I do not. Damn it, man. Thought you had one in your pocket. You know, I did go to a, a an S and M sex show one afternoon, and there was lots of uh, <laughs> did, did, elderly did you? <laughs> Japanese gentlemen who were sitting around next to me, and they brought like bagged lunches to it. It was amazing. Really? Wow. I mean, they they were they were on their lunch hour. No, it was like a full show. It was like three mm. or four hours. Holy shit! And, and there was like a beer vending machine in the lobby, and they would bring like packed lunches to watch. You know, like their wives sent them out for the afternoon and packed them a lunch. It was like half fun at the half fun at the show. SMH. <laughs> oh my lord! Yeah, it is. It is. Well, I mean, there there was a like a a, a very statuesque Brazilian woman. Um, she was. She had a strap on on, and she was dressed in like a um, SS outfit. <laughs> and she was uh, abusing a Japanese schoolgirl in, a, you know, the full sailor outfit, and it was complete with the theme from Das Boot. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and wow. I, my jaw was on the floor. It was like this is amazing. <laughs> oh my god! That sounds that sounds like the best afternoon ever. And that's, that's just one of those things where you look around, you're like, I have no one I can share this with. Right? Like yeah, this. That's pretty much. And there was like another one where they had. A girl, you know, do the whole uh, seppuku thing with cutting her stomach open, and she had like a white kimono on. And there was uh, rose, or I forget if it was rose, or it was probably sakura petals falling down over her as she disemboweled herself. And that was amazing. <laughs> and then there was a dominatrix who took two eager um, volunteers from the audience and would like kick them in the balls. And this was happening about seven feet from my face. <laughs> It's like this is amazing. This is like sexual jackass. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Wow. I now see I'm, just when I see oh. just when I try to tell myself, no, I'm just being really, uh, I'm just being a Westerner who doesn't understand. You know, there's really no difference between, you know, the, no, there's, lots things, of there's a lot of difference between, you know. <laughs> Is I'm just imagining Japanese sexuality truly is a thing in and of itself. <laughs> there's no there's there. such an odd, weird, and just almost backwards line. That's why I asked that question. Is there just seems to be so much male masochism within the Japanese culture as it pertains to sex specifically? It seems like there's a an almost background hum of of a desire for physical abuse by a huge percentage of mm. Japanese males. And I just really? wonder what it is about the culture that, that Sorry. creates that. But uh, they're usually laying, I mean, in the entertainment, they're like usually laying on the abuse, not taking it. 
Well, really? Oh, well, okay, well, yeah, I was going to yeah, say, okay, well, well, you're right in this instance. That's for except sure. Except for the ones who who let themselves who, who want to be kicked in the balls, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was one segment. In the yeah, show. well, but, eight segments. So yeah, but even look, that was one yeah. of the parts that stuck out the most. But the rest of it was a lot of uh, the shibari, the rope binding, and other you know female centric S and M stuff. Now it wasn't. Uh, there weren't a lot of males taking abuse. In the, um, you know, just in the, within the plot of this film here, you think about it, there's, there's what saves Ocho a couple of times in the film is the fact that the males who have her suddenly at, in, in their power, instead of just killing her outright, which they should do because she's so incredibly dangerous to them, you know, yeah, put, it was like, I'll kill you, but first yeah, no. I'm going to, and that's what she this. demonstrates on multiple occasions that <laughs> yeah. if you put a gun in her yeah. hand, she's going to be able yeah. to murder a room full of people. But instead of just, you know, eliminating the problem, they're like, you know, no, I gotta, gotta, gotta beat you and have sex with you and, you know, and all this stuff first. And that's what ends up working to her advantage. So uh, maybe I, I think that's probably intentional on the part of the, the filmmakers, you know, the director and everything is yeah. to at least kind of show like, this propensity with these males, you know, or within that society is like, this is, you know, it's using it to her advantage and backfiring on them. But that's one of, that's one of the fascinating things to me is that that's presented, uh, in the structure of the story as, uh, a, a man exerting his strength over a woman, but it's not really a strength. It is a weakness because you're right. The smart move would be kill this bitch. Cause she's about to kill you. You give yeah. her half an opportunity yeah. and an edged weapon or just a free fingernail. And you're yeah. probably a dead man. She carries around poison perfume for God's sake. You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a, co- Mr. Bond, I'm going to sexual assault you first. Then dispose of you. <laughs> yes, exactly. <It's laughs> yeah. Right. So it, 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 like I say, it's, it's this, it's a desire to, 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 to force dominance over this, beautiful creature that you're going to subjugate to your will. But at the same, you know, that's that, that supposed act of, of uh, superiority or, you know, uh, well, and it's, and it may be just, you know, that despite all she's shown them, they still just can't in their own mind, convince themselves that she's something to be, uh, they're just not used to being afraid of a, of, of a woman in any way to see a woman in any other way. And they can't, guess, can't know. get around this, you know, so, and it ends up uh, being their downfall, but, uh, to, um, to say the extreme least, <laughs> Well, in a lot of the uh, contemporary, well, the contemporary of the time, Skaban films, the the girls in the gang in the beginning are usually they usually starts out with some kind of scam that they're pulling on on uh, guys, whereas they'll kind of like seduce them and be like, hey, for twenty bucks we can go to this hotel and have fun, and then once they're there, they have a scam to drug them and take their money or blackmail them or something like that. Hmm. So you guys are spot on with the the whole taking the men's uh, lust and turning against them. <laughs> and it, it's a trap that, well, you don't have to be Japanese to fall into it, but it, no, it's, no. It, it's, it's a trap that uh, I, from the pinky, the pinky violence films that I've seen, it seems to drive a, a, a number of uh, plot turns within these, within these films. And the thing is, it, it's, I mean, it, it makes sense because I mean, we're all three of us are sitting here and thinking, well, yeah, I mean, if Christina Lundberg, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. even faked any interest in me, then I would probably put myself in a position where she could very easily kill me. But you know, uh, it's 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 not something that's out rel- outside the realm of you know, probability. Yeah. yeah.
殺されたお父っつぁんが握っていた3枚の花札2枚は消えたが残る1枚を消させてもらうよ was talking about the um, Jonah Hex comic that had the Christina Lindbergh inspired character. Remember that from uh, when they were doing the uh, the Jonah Hex series that uh, they were doing a few years ago in DC. Do you remember? Did you ever read any of those? Or was it? Which, what was it, which series was it? It was it was the one before All Star. Well, actually, it's, it became All Star Western, but it was first called Jonah Hex. It was a series where it was Jonah Hex for a while. Who was it, writing it? Was it the, the I don't gray, remember this. Gray, gray and Palmieri? Yes, I think so. I think it was that. Okay, that I, I, I'm, I, I don't but, think I've a, read that. Okay, story. well, there was a character that was very, very obviously based on Christina Lindbergh's character in uh, The okay. Color One Eye. The name of the character was Tallulah, but instead of wearing a long trench coat, she was wearing a long duster. But she had the scars, the the, the eye patch, right? I mean, it was very obvious, and so I was telling him that's one of the things I had her sign when the Center Wasteland is I took an issue that had that character in it and had her sign that. And then Jason, you can tell tell him what that led you to to talk about. Well, there's a like a there's a popular manga and anime in, in the early sorry I think in the early seventies and it was popular throughout the seventies. Uh-huh. That was the Rose of Versailles, which was like European and it kind of, I, I think it kind of started the whole Gothic Lolita look. That was, you know, started to be popular in the late '90s and in the 2000s. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if the Christina Lindbergh character in this, which is like the almost a porcelain baby doll European kind of look, was had any relation or influence. Either they kind of copied it from that comic, or if it was just some of the style that was going on at yeah, the time. It, it could have been. Yeah, it could have been. They could both be referencing something else, but of course, I I'm I'm not well versed yeah. enough to know myself. So yeah, that's interesting speculation. I'm not I, I, that that's pretty. That'd be very interesting to know that if that was the case. Rather, was curious which pinky violence films you had seen, if you can remember the names. Well, that's just it. I can't remember the names because some of the because the titles jumbled together for me. That but because there were a couple of like I say um, around the time I saw Rika, uh, I saw uh-huh. like delin- delinquent delinquent school boss something something right okay and then like another with a very similar title and another with a kind of similar title and it, it was kind of like eating potato chips i finally got to the point where i couldn't taste the potato chip anymore so i stopped mm-hmm. um, okay so you did see some of the, a lot of the contemporary ones then not the yeah, oh yeah definitely definitely these were these were all contemporary set they were uh, uh they were late okay. si- late 60s early 70s yeah okay so you have you seen many of like the Period piece ones like the the was the Aroguro movies like the Joys of Torture that Turoishi did. No, no, I have not. As a matter of fact, the harder I think about it, the, the, the more I think that this movie may be the only period Pinky film I've actually seen. But I, I can't be positive, but I think it might be. Uh, okay, because I mistook. I thought earlier when you were talking about that that the, you said the ones you saw were all period films. No, that's no, no, why that, you that's me. No, that's the. I guess they would be. <laughs> 
well, nowadays looking back, they would be period films, but no, they were <laughs> they were they were contemporary uh, films set you know set when they were made. So uh, okay. that that's why uh, I was so I, when I went back and started watching Sex and Fury this time, that's why I was so surprised to realize, oh shit, it's a period piece. Okay, because some of like the Joys of Torture stuff, those you should check out, and like Horrors of Malformed Man. Oh, I've heard of that one. I've heard of that one too. Yeah. Which is uh, based on like some Rampo writings. Yeah, right. He was a big, you know, mm-hmm. mystery writer back in the what, 30s, 40s. I've, I've definitely heard. I've, I've heard of those titles, and I've, I've definitely heard of Rampo, but I've not. Um, I think I've even read some translations of some of the Rampo stuff. Now that I think of it, but my dives into this stuff have been have been pretty shallow. Like I say. Um, the ones that I've seen were all seen in rapid succession, and it was one of those cases of too much and too short a space of time, and they kind of started to blend together, and I started to kind of not be able to, you know, I kind of wanted to shift focus. I could definitely see how that could happen, because I have troubles keeping the name straight and, like, what series is what, because the translations are so similar. And there are so many, there's so many titles with reoccurring words that it's almost, some, sometimes it's like a damn word jumble. <laughs> yeah, like I said, this may be the only period one I've seen, but it's also one of the ones that kind of stands out. Rika stood out pretty heavily because I think it was one of the very first ones I saw. And uh-huh. uh, so that that makes it memorable in a couple of ways. You know, the, 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 the female lead in that kind of looking a good deal different as well being, you know, uh, half American and therefore having, you know, different features and being taller, which may, which gave her that kind of natural ability to kind of lord things over the other women in the in the in the film so speaking of it being uh um you're talking about this film that we're talking about in this show with sex and fury being set in uh the time that it's set in one of the scenes that i thought was really interesting and, and amusing was uh where they're seeing condoms for the first time yeah, that, yes that's, that's a really clever scene and a neat little touch i'd i'd and I'm assuming that they would not that that must be accurate to the time that that must be when they were in, in, you know first introduced to Japan, maybe I don't know, but I, what is the term? I, I meant to write it down. I forgot they call them Rudosak. Yes, yes, Rude Rude Rudosak. Is that what it was? Rudosak. Rudosak. It was just I think a, it was but they say yeah, it Rudosak. Rudosak. Yeah, Rudosak. I just love that's a great term. But anyway, that's a <laughs> but that's a funny scene where only one of them actually knows what what it what it's for, what they are. Uh, <laughs> what was it? I was reading. I was reading recently. Um, just trying to, to to get get a taste of what some of the plots for different pink films had been, and there was apparently one in which one of the one of the kind of put upon male characters who works in a brothel, his job was to wash out the condoms <laughs> so that they could be used as second time. Them? <laughs> oh yeah, they were using them. Is just yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that the, yeah. the plot description I read did not spell out the exact reason, but I'm assuming it's just a cost cutting measure, you know. <laughs> No, speaking of a detail that I'm not sure might have been, I'm not sure how accurate this was, but it did crack me up. Is you know when uh, one of the one of the times when Ocho is captured and she's uh, of course going to be tortured and whipped, and they're having Christina do it, yes. and she's wearing this like sort of Indian squall sort of out like Christina is, yeah. you know? and it's just a strange. Like and I mean I guess they're figuring I guess they wanted to be like okay she took she's like it's like from an American Wild West show of the time but it really looks like something out of like a hey Ashbury <laughs> like it's more like something you would see on a you know sixties hippie chick more than something that looked really authentic to me but I just thought it was hilarious that suddenly not only do they have Christina Whipper but let's just you know dress her up in a, a, a the Indian girls you know fringe you know skirt and <laughs> well everything. I mean there's. 
they have a lot of fun with oh definitely with the the costuming of not just Christina Lindbergh but mm. but also the 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 other female lead. There's mm. a they have more fun with Christina, I think, because I think mm. they they felt like they could kind of go a little crazy. Yeah, with yeah. you know whatever the gowns and all the yeah all exactly stuff. yeah ball gowns and mm-hmm. and whatever weird thing they could put her in. And there came a point where I was afraid if I blinked too hard during a single sequence, she would actually change clothes in between eye blinks. <laughs> but the uh, the, the costume is, I, yeah, you're right, mm-hmm. but you're just you just reminded me that once again, another standard film sequence in one of these movies is, hey, let's whip a woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm not against that. Don't get me wrong. Um, We've seen plenty of that. Believe me, covering Spanish horror like like Rod and I do, <laughs> we see a lot of that. <laughs> if, you, if you can make it through a Paul Nashy film without yeah. somebody being whipped, yeah. then you have you found a really you. It probably found a cut version of the movie, probably. But it, it, it's always sexualized. In this, it's always sexualized to the point where we have one woman whipping another at the behest of an evil man. And it, that almost seems to be just like the perfect power play within this culture is you know a powerful man forcing one beautiful woman to whip the other for my pleasure. Um, yeah, th- this, is, this is weird shit we're getting into. Well, let's not forget that this all takes place under the the the, the uh, gaze of a big Jesus stained glass window. Yes, good point. Yes, thank you. I forgot. You're right. You're right. <laughs> that is a great. <laughs> How can we forget big Jesus? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's another weird thing. There, there are some nods to Western oh, and religion. There's, there's nuns too. Yes, yes thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. Was nuns. I was nice. I was actually going to say that that's probably my biggest. Uh, disappointment with the film is that we didn't get more from the knife-wielding nuns because I, I really, once I saw them, I thought, oh, we're going to have a great throwdown battle with the knife-wielding nuns, and they really just don't do that all that much. You know, they're kind of in and out really quick, and I was like, ah, that's too bad because that's it was been a, that was just, they were a great visual, but I was hoping for some real action with them, you know? Well, there was a sequel to this. Did the nuns show up in the sequel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about the, tell us about the sequel uh, real quick. Uh, uh, Jason, you've seen it. Uh, how, how, how does it hold up? Uh, the sequel is not as stylish, mm-hmm. uh, but it gets more berserk, especially by the ending. Mm-hmm. The ending has like a full, the this the the plot is uh, somebody is from China is smuggling opium in containers in uh, sex slaves of vaginas, and they're killing the women. And Ocho has to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> and at the end, there is a revolt. Of the sex workers, mm-hmm. and it includes golden showers, and it's glorious. <laughs> so it's, oh, it's, it's so it's basically the conquest of the Planet of the Apes of this series. <laughs> 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 Oh God! Are you kidding me? Oh man, that does well. I have to say that that sounds. Okay, wait, first I, of all, yeah. first of all, I, my brain isn't working now. You, 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 <laughs> you referred to the sequel. Does this film as the conquest of the planet? I can't. I can't. I, I can't process that. <sighs> well, I think uh, you know. I, I, I actually had mixed feelings about finding out there was a sequel because it it does kind of make the ending of this one less ambiguous. I kind of like the ambiguity of of of. Of, uh, of the ending of this film uh, again it kind of spoils it when you find out that yes there is a sequel that the story continues at the same time I was thinking yeah but this actually it'd be cool to see this character I enjoyed this yeah. film much it'd be cool to see this character in the next film because well yeah. I mean especially with the what I consider to be a very strong ending I oh, do, ending I do love it without, without wanting to spoil it really because I think this is a film that I'm 
that I hope more people see if they mm-hmm. if, if they if they find it interesting to to hear about. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's really a fascinating film, and I do love the ending. And uh, earlier, Jason, you you brought up the funky music that plays over oh, yeah. the, over that final battle, and I, I I just kept thinking, man, that is some that is some Hendrix style guitar riffing on that because it really does sound like they they hired Jimi Hendrix or rose him from the grave and and to, and got him to to perform a score over the final section of this film. Yeah, I don't know much about music, but I was hoping Troy might be able to to give us more insight into that. You know, and and unfortunately, I can't other than just to say that the uh, I love the opening theme because it's just a classic seventies. I mean, there's no other decade this this theme opening theme song could come from. <laughs> this is great seventies pop, you know, music music theme for that opening. And I was actually going to ask you, Jason, if you if you had ever seen a. Uh, a, a soundtrack. I bet somebody's probably made us. There's so many companies now specializing in in uh, cult, oh, and, cult oh, film yeah. soundtracks. I bet somebody's put a soundtrack out of this film, and I, you know, they I, must. Have, they must. So have, it'd, be, yeah. it'd be cool to score that if uh, if if you could find that. The um, Pinky Violence uh, box set that Panic House put out probably what 12, 13 years ago. Now? I remember, yeah. and yeah. I regret that I never picked up. Yeah. That came out with a CD called uh, Rico Ike Sings. Oh, my gosh. Like all her singing stuff. Wow. It's not quite – I don't remember if those themes from this are on there. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think they are. Mm-hmm. But there's a, bu- there's a bunch of like uh, magazines and books that have come out. So from mm-hmm. like they uh, have the soundtrack from other Pinky Violence films. Mm-hmm. So the music is definitely out there. Yeah, yeah. I would add this is a, this is a score that I would like to have. You know, it's, it's got some cool cool tunes on it. Agreed, agreed. Um, I was at first kind of puzzled with this movie because, like I said, I hadn't seen it in years, and I'm assuming, like like I said, with Troy, I wondered what you thought about this because this is your first time seeing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, I was puzzled as to why the hell are they bothering to set this in winter time. Because uh, it cl- I, it's, it's clearly not winter time when they shot the film. Uh, it's not you don't see evident. Well, that, no, that's not necessarily there, true. There, I was going to um, say there is. I know there's at least one scene where you can right, actually see right. her breath when she's talking. To well, it's not just that. It. There's there's a couple of sequences well, where men are talking in uh, in enclosed pl- in, in in rooms, and you can actually see their breath. I just yeah. remembered that. Mm-hmm. But what I was uh, what I was really impressed with was that uh, unlike uh, some films that will decide we're going to set it in you know winter or something like this, they actually use the setting the the period of the year to good effect. Uh, it actually pays off. In the final act, uh, with as you've already said, you know mm-hmm. the snowflakes turning into those game tiles, mm-hmm. but it also pays off uh, in other ways. Not just the visual element of like a, the sword fight uh, in the snow and things of that nature, but the the, the falling snow is used often uh, to kind of offset some of the some of the imagery. And it, the director's really good. I, he, it's clear he thought out a lot of different ways of presenting. Uh, the images there's, as I mentioned, you know, the, the, the tilted camera angles and choices of uh, setups, and there's a number of times when he's using the falling snow for more than just the the obvious beauty that it'll bring to a sequence. There's uh, there's some real thought put into some of this stuff, and I, I was really happy to see it actually not just be, you know, literal window dressing to the story. Jason, do you would you call the what do you think are Suzuki's like best films? I mean, would you consider this one of his best films? Or are there others you? Oh, there he his filmography is strong. He made a um, lot, right? I mean, he was quite was he pretty prolific? Yeah, because uh, this movie, there's School of the Holy Beast, which is I've heard a, of that one. Actually, like heard a pinky yeah. violence uh, non exploitation film, which oh, is amazing. Okay. You got me already. Yeah. 
Uh, there is <laughs> Roaring Fire, which is a uh, was it Henry Sonata? That was Haruyuki Sonata. Sonoda. Mm-hmm. He's an actor. He's been in tons of movies. Um, crap! What was? If you saw him, you would know who he was because mm-hmm. he's one of the crossover Japanese actors that Hollywood uses nowadays. Okay. But this is from the early 80s, and it has, like, Abdullah the Butcher, the wrestler. Wow. Okay. He's in it, and it's there's, like, Nazis. There's trap doors. I think there's one. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, and then he made another one, um, Beautiful Girl Hunt, uh, Star of David, Beautiful Girl Hunting, <laughs> which was another SNM movie. He did the Trucker Yaro series, which has uh, Bunta Sugawara. Okay, I know who that is. Battles yeah, about the, yeah. on our humanity series. Yeah, he's in that, and it's a comedy about truckers, which I've never seen because I don't know if they're even subtitled out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's got, and he's done a bunch of the Pinky Violet stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, lots of lots of strong stuff in his filmography. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to check out. Yeah, I definitely would like to see more of his work. But cause. But, but the terrifying girls, um, school movies, the first two, and the school, the Holy Beast, are two or three that I would recommend highly. Okay. And he made all of these. Oh yeah, that's all. Those are all Suzuki. I was talking okay. about. Yeah, cool. yeah, that's well, okay, well, cool. Cool. It's just because um, one one of the and a lot of this is just ignorance on my part. But one of the ways that I've uh, always gone through. Uh, a new genre or a new area of a film is that I'll find a filmmaker who I've impressed by and then just try to mine whatever they did. And now you've given me, at least you told oh. me that the guy who made this is somebody that it's worth digging straight through their filmography. So that's good. Yeah. There's lots of good stuff. Cool. And he, he keeps it like a light and fun because sometimes with the, the pinky violence or the, the pink films, things can get, kind of ugly quick and you're like oh this isn't funny anymore this is just a mm. bummer yeah and but his stuff kind of just stays nice and light and pulpy and gets you through and it's a good time cool you, that's a good word to use for this film especially yeah. I, I was very happy because I, I love pulp fiction and i love mm. the whole idea of of that type of storytelling and there's a joy to watching something like this where you're you're right i mean it's calling you know i wouldn't use the word light often yeah, but yeah, there is a lightness in tone, an ability to uh, take some of the darker elements and and lighten it just a little bit so that it doesn't become depressing, and that's evident in this film for sure. That's why I like the guy because he, mm-hmm. he delivers the fun that I, I crave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna mention that uh, the scene where you can see their breath. Of course, it's the one where they have to douse the woman in water. <laughs> you're right. oh, oh God, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> That's a good time on the set. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Yoko Mihara, which is the woman that played her uh, Ocho's mother. Right. Yeah. She she was in a bunch of these films. Uh, and she was, you know, she was probably in her 40s by then. But mm. back in the 50s, she starred in – she started in a lot of more uh, kind of risque movies in like crime movies, uh, Yakuza films that probably featured a bit of nudity or close to it. And she was kind of the buxom vixen back in the fifties. Mm. Okay. Wow. That's, so that's kind of an cool. interesting yeah. side note in yeah. evolution. Wow. That's it. That is interesting. That is interesting. I did not know. Well, yeah, I, didn't, uh, didn't know. I was amused to find out that when the, the pinky films started, um, <laughs> one of the things that producers were looking for where they were like scouring beaches and just anywhere they could trying to find women with large breasts. (laughs) 
because, <laughs> and because that's not the uh, that's not something that's easy necessarily to find in Japan. They were they were literally like just running all over the country trying to find large-breasted <laughs> women who were willing to go and be nude on screen, and I and I just I'm amused by the concept of literally these people just waving you know fistfuls of yen in front of you know you know women in swimsuits swearing that they just wanted to watch their breasts on screen and it's just another one of those images that I can't get out of my head about Japanese men and being slightly submissive while also being masochistic at the same time. Well, when when you're gonna Tie someone up, you know. You if they're too skinny, the rope doesn't cut in. Doesn't the squish those, yeah, you, exactly. you need a little bit of, of you know cushion there. <laughs> a, that's just oh well. There, there was what was one actress who specialized in those bondage films? Uh, was it Nami Naomi Tommy? Uh, now I can't remember her Tammy, name. Tammy, but she that, was in no, I, she was in so many of them for so many years that she actually said that it like kind of like misshaped her body over time. Is it, I think it's Naomi Tommy. That would, yeah, probably. She was in like Wife to be Sacrificed and Flower and Snake. Fly, Flower and Snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, think, she was in a, a bunch of the, um, the Nikatsu Roman oh, yeah. films. Okay. Short for romantic ping films and those films are, are usually decidedly not. <laughs> 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 Those are the ones that got like uh, crazy heavy into the bondage and uh, mm-hmm. sexual abuse stuff. Well, there's a, and this is something I've kind of wanted to, I kind of wanted to dance around a little bit. But there's there's a, there's some of it in Sex and Fury, but it's it's such a such an odd thing that crops up so frequently in in Japanese sex films, which is just, and even non-sex films in Japan, which is just rape. All the time. Oh, I mean, there's just so oh, much rape. You mean like in Yakuza films when it's like they do the, the rape court courtship? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, we're not going to date. I'm going to rape you until you're my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, okay, right. this is our protagonist. All right. Uh, so everyone's a shithead in this movie. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. and, and of course there's rape in this movie, but at least at least the people who are committing the rape are presented as villains. But, mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow, <laughs> I mean, well, that, that, that's why I like those yakuza movies because they mm-hmm. just present organized crime and criminals as as uh, shitheads. Yeah, there's yeah. no r- romanticizing it. Is early films did. Yeah. Oh man, the I, I it's such an odd cultural thing yeah. though. It's you run into the same thing in um, some other south so, some other uh, South Asian cultures as well. But I just so, saw for the well, first. Now you have me curious. Oh, you mean uh, well, in India, uh, in Indian films, often uh, for for years and years, uh, in Indian film, you could not, and you still, I think, can't show. It may have changed now, but you still you couldn't show two people kissing on screen. It was mm-hmm. not allowed. And uh, what they did is to to get something spicy in the movie is there would be a there'd be a rape scene. Well. What? Okay. So we show rapes, but we can't show people kissing. But yeah. we said, wow, that's just I know. Kind of you, you, you want to talk something weird, weirdly cultural? That's, and then they probably know. do a big dance routine after. There's probably a big music number yes, to follow. Yes. You know, but they can't show nudity, right? Uh, no, they cannot. Okay, so it's just kind of like forcing tussling, but no kissing. Yeah, it's very obvious what is happening. And as a matter of fact, I mean, it, and and they're they're I've seen Indian films where the movie. There's a lot of jokes about how the Indian film will stop and there'll be a musical sequence. Well, imagine that same movie also having, you know, having to stop 
for uh, you know two brothers to rape a servant, and then we go back to the story. Wow, because I tried to watch. Are you familiar with the Gangs of Wissapar? It probably came out like mm. five years ago. No, no doesn't ring a bell. It's a big Indian crime film that was in two parts. Both parts were like three hours. I watched part one. And no, well, that, was, that's a that's a short Indian film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But the, they had, it didn't have like the big musical numbers, but it had like montages. Mm. Yeah. But basically, the protagonist tricks some girl, saying that if you sleep with me, you it will cure your affliction that you have. They don't really show them kiss, but they show like basically it's like the train going into a tunnel, <laughs> like that kind of symbolism yeah. with a flower in slow motion and all this. Yeah. And I was just like, why can't you tackle this subject matter beyond this? Like I, it's frustrated me to no end. Well, like I say, I mean, I don't know that it's changed mm. uh, because the last like Indian genre films I saw – uh, I saw uh, like a handful of them. They were produced in the late '90s and early 2000s. And at that time, these were, you know, these were action films that were, you know, like two the, the standard, you know, two and a half hours long. Because we also have a couple of musical sequences that are inserted into the damn thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, but the action is all R-rated violence. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you know, you have you know, part of the story is uh, a, a ro- you know a romance that kind of you know is threaded throughout the story, but. They're never, you can never see them kiss. They never kissed. And this is, like I say, this is late 90s, early 2000s. So, wow. People are weird, man. <laughs> and people, in, people from other cultures are even weirder. We're talking about <laughs> Japanese people tying up other people <laughs> just, I don't know, to masturbate? What are they doing? <laughs> For kicks. <laughs> <laughs> For kicks. To beat each other with bamboo sticks. <laughs> <laughs> to walk to walk on two legs, yeah. not four. Well, there, I mean, there's a whole you know that's a whole like world and hobby that I don't know much about, but it's definitely something that goes on. People are getting stuff out of it. It's been around for a long time. Oh well, mo- most assuredly, it's just odd how some cultures mm. tend to um, tend to uh, accept it as more of part of part of the the norm of human sexuality than others do. Because yeah. that that's certainly not something that's seen as uh, particularly shameful within Japanese culture, as far as I can tell. Uh, well, if they're if what was it two thirds of their film output in the sixties were <laughs> pink films, yeah. Yes, <clears throat> then you know maybe it's uh, a okay. I don't know if that I don't know if that holds true now, but Jason, I know uh, <clears throat> I would I would assume that you are probably share our. Uh, Excitement over the uh, the announcement of Arrow Video's uh, upcoming uh, Bloodthirsty trilogy, they're calling it there, where they're that uh, better uh, be on my doorstep. This oh season. my god, I've got it on order too, man. They That's great. Oh, I love those. Uh, I, I god, love those. I'm so excited. Those are the Dracula, the, the 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 Toho vampire films are coming out. That's just I've been waiting for those for a long time. Toho yeah. channeling Hammer just as yeah, hard yeah. as they can. Yeah, and I I hope they have the dub tracks. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've, I've never I've never Me seen too. it with dub tracks. I've mm. only seen it subtitled. There were dub tracks for the TV release, ah. and uh, there was a guy on one of the forums I go to, and he said he had supplied Arrow with the dub tracks oh, that wow. he had saved for VHS, oh, and they were going to try to, you know, polish him up and put them on there as like an extra. But we'll see. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow, when were those dubs done? Back in the they were they, they were done contemporaneously in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, those should be interesting to hear. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, 
I think I've got a couple of them, like fan dubs that people had synced up. I've got, I think, one or two of them. Man, I get, well, yeah, well, you're right. Mm. Well, to, to briefly mm. get us back on track before we wrap this Sorry. up. Sorry. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a good thing. It's, it's kind of related. Uh, it's sort of, kind of, not really. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Jason, I do have a question for you. Having seen way more pink films than, than either Troy or I probably put together, um, where does this one rate on you know, kind of the best to worst scale? And what what would you recommend to people if this one gets them curious about wanting to explore the genre a little bit more? Uh, with this one, I would rate it near the top of the heap. Okay. And I would say, you know, if you enjoy the character and stuff, watch the sequel. It's not quite – it doesn't reach the same highs, but it's definitely good fun. It's solid. And then from there, you can kind of go either, I would say, go to like The Joys of Torture, which it came out in 68, directed by Tiro Ishii. And then if, that's if you want more um, period shenanigans. Right. But if you want the girl gang stuff, I would direct you to the terrifying girl schools, uh, especially the first two entries. How many of those were made? There was four of them. Okay. Cool. And one of, I think the second one is Terrifying Girls School Lynch Law Classroom. All of and those words sound people. like you could rearrange them randomly. <laughs> yep. And then the first one, I, th- I think it's a Female Violent Classroom. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but uh, those two are, are both worth checking out. Cool. And then, you know, some of those... Like uh, Girl Boss Blues, Queen Bee's Counterattack. That one's pretty good. Oh, and uh, Zero Woman is uh, Red Handcuffs is really good. It is just uh, it's not a girl gang. It's a undercover policewoman who has a pair of red handcuffs, and there is just shotgun blasts and blood geysers and. Just all kinds of cra- uh, crazy rapists running around, and then getting their just desserts, and uh, it's it's madness. Uh, wow! You, I'm I'm hunting for that immediately. Yes, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Discotech put out a, a really good DVD of that uh, years ago. I don't know if it's still in print or not, but it's worth hunting down. It's probably not in print, and I will go hunting like a maniac <laughs> and 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 begin to cry. But. Oh. Well, Jason, I just want to thank you again for coming on and being part of the show. Thank you for having me, sir. Uh, if you had not chosen this film, I don't know when I would have watched it again, and I, that would make me a uh, that would make me a less happy person. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy I saw this film, and this gave me an excuse to finally watch one of this genre. And I definitely want to see some more. Uh, but this was really, really enjoyable movie. I, I I'm really kind of surprised that. Troy, that you've never you branched think, out. You no. would think that, uh, uh, but it's just not one that I'd gotten to. Well, like I said, I'd only just starting to watch the Battles Without Honor and Humanity series. You know, just just now getting around to watching those. So uh, yes, I'm. I, I really haven't seen a whole lot of the Yakuza films. So I am a deprived soul, and I'm, I'm I'm just trying to you know trying to feed feet in the years I have left trying to catch up with all this well stuff. now Jason now Jason has given both of us a nice long list of, yes, of, he has. Uh, yes, of he possible has. future viewing so that's a good thing uh, I'm, I'm nudging you to, towards the Norafumi Suzuki rabbit hole <laughs> yeah no listen I'd love to see more of this guy's work yeah oh definitely definitely want to see some more of this director's work damn straight Jason thank you very much thanks it was a good time 
All right, man. Bye. Take care.